0: What we're going to do today is we're going to be speaking on um on depression through the lens of scripture. <clears throat> and um if you're a guest, we typically study through books of the Bible. We we've done that through First Corinthians. We're doing a couple of topical series. And then we're um I've been I've been actually talking about what's going to be next in the Old Testament. We're gonna do an Old Testament study. Um I've been leaning between Leviticus and maybe the minor prophets, and so I'm still praying through that, but this is going to be about three weeks. Um, it could be four or five, depending on what I see the Holy Spirit doing our body and the questions that emerge. And so, uh, my my plan is that today I'm going to identify what depression is through the lens of Scripture. Next week I'm going to look at some of what what the medical the lies that we've been told and the medical labels and and how that kind of works and what the Scriptures have to say to us in that area. We're going to look at the third week is going to be a lot of the solutions of, of of what do you do in the midst of this. I may do another week, which is if you're someone who is ca- taking care of someone that is in depression, like what do you do? So if you feel like that'd be helpful, let me know. That'll That'll help me kind of get a gauge. But today we're going to look at depression through the lens of Scripture. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're calling this through the lens of Scripture... Now, it, that seems a little redundant because if you've been around our church, we believe in Scripture. And why would we not preach something that wasn't through the lens of Scripture? Why we're calling it that is because, if we'll be honest, most of the things we believe about depression are not informed through the lens of Scripture. They're not, okay? The clinical medical caretakers have actually um, uh, influenced us to look at it. I'm, I'm saying us, Christians, the body of Christ look at it in a way that I don't think actually fits what's called biblical anthropology. Anthropology means man. Ology means study, the study of man. I, I actually don't think that. I, so I, I want to explore this for our own disciple making, for our own soul. I want us to, to understand it. And, because and, here's the deal. Most of us, even in the body of Christ, we see depression as this idea of something that just happens physically. And the only way for me to get a help is to have some kind of uh, some kind of medication. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week. There is nothing sinful about taking medication to help in times of depression. But I am going to give you a way to frame it and know how to take it right. Now, now I'm not talking about dosage because I'm not a doctor. I'm talking about how to do that and then work your soul at the same time. We're going to work on that. But I do want you to understand this. A lot of times what we do is we if you've ever been in just a, a clinical depression kind of area... You'll a lot of times when people they'll take something physical, like a substance um, of some kind of antidepressant, which isn't sinful and wrong. We'll talk more about that. But yet they'll start to feel better sometimes. And then what they'll think to themselves is well, because I feel better, this depression was just something physical only. It had nothing to do with my soul. And then they never do soul work after that. And either one of two things happens. They have to continue on the antidepressant train. And, and sometimes there can be effects that happen from that. We'll discover that more next week. But also at the same time, once a, d- a doctor may take them off those antidepressants, they find themselves crawling back into the pit of despair. When there's there's a way to do that and still work on the soul at the same time. So I want you to understand depression is not just a physical thing only, although the physical can affect it and be a contributing factor to it. Are you with me? So here's what I want. I want you to understand and know as a body of Christ, like how this works in the scripture through the lens of scripture. Not everything I'm going to say in the next couple of weeks, you'll agree with. That's okay to be wrong. Okay, so we'll just keep going. So by the way, if you're a guest with us, um, so some of this is also my training. Um, my, my, my master's degree is in biblical counseling. I'm a certified biblical counselor. I, I do it a lot. So this is an area of, of interest. I'm not like the world's authority on this, right? But what I'm giving to you is not just like, well, Nick just like read something on the internet. Okay. Like, like, just to assure you, like, I went through and got a degree in this area. so I could help the body of Christ have a category of like, how do I, how do I do this? Like, what does this look like? How do we respond to this? Right. So that's why we're going to talk about it. Also, I must tell you, if you look at statistically, depression affects six percent of the population. Okay. That means in this room today, there's probably 130, 140, maybe in this whole building. That means we're probably dealing with maybe 10 to 15 people currently in this building, more than likely, might have some type of clinical depression or some kind of major great depression. That's a lot. Then if you take the person... It, it always influences the family, friends, their network, their coworkers, their peers. So they estimate that in, in America, we've got, I think, a little over 370 million people that when you take the 6% of the population that has is in depression, and all their family and friends that are affected by it, that more than likely, like 75% of the American population is being affected by someone's depression and the tentacles of it, how it affects the rest of the family and friends in the network and everybody. So that means it's vast. That means even in our church body, there would be effects that would go far and wide. So it's, it's good for us to talk about this and discover what the scriptures say. So this is depression through the lens of scripture. That's what I'm trying to give you in this series. Now, let's do this first off. Let's define what Did you get a little sheet uh, everybody? Turn to the back side. I kind of have four questions I'm going to answer today. First question is what is depression? Okay, what is depression? Is everybody with me? Okay. Here's what it is. It's a sadness of state where there's utter hopelessness. That's what depression is. You're in a a sadness state, an unhappiness, a hopelessness that you see no way out. All you see is pit. All you see is complete dark. All you see is 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 there's no light, there's no hope there's no I'm never coming out of this. That's depression. So depression is not I had a bad day and I had a couple of bad days. Depression is. You are looking at life in such a way that there is hopelessness. There is no glimmer of hope. Uh, Although, even as a Christian, you may be a person that says that you're like, Yeah, I know God has a purpose and a plan, and I trust him, and he's good. But it seems like those truths are like bouncing off you like Teflon. Now, you still say those truths to yourself, but they don't seem to impact. There's no way out. It's like you're in a room with four doors And behind every door is an exit, but yet you can't even find those doors. It's like you're just wandering around in the darkness, and you can't seem to find the door or the way out. That's depression. It's often described as like being in the pit of hell with no hope of ever escaping. That's when you're in depression. Now... so some people would say this, how do I know then, like what's, like how do I know for certain because that still seems kind of hard to define. Well, I'm just giving you what depression is. You're in hopelessness with no hope of, of getting out and complete despair. Now, there are certain signs that you can see that help. In fact, um, in our kind of, there's something called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's what most psychologists, psychiatrists would use to define great depression or clinical depression. Now, what they would say is, if you have any of these symptoms for two weeks, five of these symptoms I'm about to read to you for two weeks, typically you would get a medical diagnosis for it, okay? So, if you have a depressed mood observed by you and other people, if you have five of these nine things for two weeks, this is how the medical community would define it. If you have a marked disinterest and pleasure in most or all activities, number three, Significant weight loss or gain when not dieting up or down 5% in a month. Insomnia or hypersomnia, where you can't, uh, extreme sleeping. You can't sleep or you're sleeping all day. Um, You have psychomotor agitation and retardation every day, like you can't seem to function physically. Fatigue and loss of energy every day, number six. Number seven, a feeling of worthlessness Excessive, inappropriate guilt nearly every day. That's number seven. Number eight, a diminished ability to think or concentrate on nearly everything. Number nine, recurrent thoughts of death and suicide, um, without really a specific plan on how to go about committing suicide. So, uh, the, the diagnostic statistical manual is kind of the caretaker of the technical language. And so if you've ever been to a doctor and they, they, they um, they diagnose you medically and say you have depression, you have clinical depression, great depression. This is typically what they're using, these nine things, and saying if you have five of these nine things uh, for two weeks in consistency, then you have depression. Now, I would say this. I think there's a lot of merit to that DSM, but I, I wouldn't say it's it's like ironclad. You understand? And And why is it? Because... It's something that, that man has put together ultimately. And I don't think, I don't think you, you, you use that ultimately. But I think it's a good indicator to let your soul know where it may be. It's very helpful. So I would tell you this. From a biblical perspective, which what I just told you, these nine things, I think are very helpful to identify for our souls. But when we look at the scriptures, I think we could most certainly say this. Depression happens when we believe that God has no purpose for your pain and that there's no good that can come from this. Or sometimes it comes when you're afflicting yourself with pain through your own sinfulness. I think we look for a biblical category, okay? So when you're in the pit of despair, and you are in the room, and it's dark, and there's, you can't seem to make your way to a door, you don't seem to have any hope that you're going to find a door, and there's actually a, a door on every wall, but you don't even feel like the door is there, and you're just in this kind of pit, what typically is happening is is there something about God that we're not able to? We're just numb to it in that moment. Now we're going to talk about all the things that lead to that. So from a biblical perspective, this mostly happens from what we really actually believe about God. Now that doesn't mean you're never going to have down times, because like if you read the scriptures and read about Elijah, he was a guy that was really following God, but he had a season of pit and despair, and we're going to look at that as a case study. So, um, how to know if you're depressed? Are you in such a pit that you don't think God has any purpose? You can't see that He's good, or that any good can come from this. Or are you is or are, are you know that there's pain in your life through active sinfulness that that you're not willing to repent of or to do anything about? That can actually throw you into depression. With depression, there is a numbness, a complete lack of positive feelings about anything. Guilt and feelings of worthlessness consume you. Your conscience works overtime to convict you. Everything is negative when you are in depression. Everything. Minor problems are major. You imagine the worst possible outcome. This is being in the pit. The worst possible outcome. Like, nothing good can really come. Your mind is drawn to the saddest memories at all times. The record of your own sins, failures, and disappointments. Negative thoughts crowd out the happy ones. Good things can be happening all around you, but yet all you run to is the negative. So... This is being called being in the pit of despair, being in darkness. You see no light out. I mean, you can be a, a, like a mom who has like these these wonderful, joyful kids who are bouncing off a wall and God's doing great things and you can have a husband who's like serving you well and doing all these things and then like all of a sudden you're just like you can't, you just feel numb to all the things that you're trying to remind yourself about. You could be in a a season of depression when that happens. And once again, that DSM Manual, the nine things I just read to you, can be helpful in helping to identify if you've, if you've got nine of those things. Uh, so, that's how you know. You know what's funny about depression? Actually, funny, it's just kind of odd. When you are in a depressive state, you feel as if your problem is unique and no one else really understands the utter despair, the lack of joy, or the complete sadness of your heart. That's one of the ways you actually, like, you know that, like, no one understands what I'm going through. Now, here's the great news is that Jesus does understand what we're going through. I love what he says. And and you don't have to turn here. I'm going to have you turn to some places here in a little bit. I'm going to quote some things to you. Jesus, he knew sorrow and despair in the garden. Do You remember in the garden what he said? He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, there's anybody that knows like the pit of despair and what it's like? It's Jesus. I mean, in the garden, you can, When you read about the garden, I mean, you can see that there is great despair for he's about to go to the cross and bear the wrath and weight of our sin in our place. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus knew that that would only be for a season. And in his great despair, he had hope because he knew that that would end. Because of his righteous life would be offered up like Jesus was so righteous he could only suffer the wrath of God for so long a time before he would say it is finished. When we're in the great pit of despair of depression, we remind ourselves that it will finish. Now I don't know when it'll finish, but it'll finish. It'll either finish a week from now, a month from now. It'll finish when we get to glory. But we keep looking for hope. And here's the deal. As long as you keep having hope, you're actually going to be able to find the doorknob. You're actually going to be able to find your way out of the pit. Now, listen, sometimes you may be in a season of life or a long season of life where you put your hand on the doorknob and you open it up. And you've got like one foot out the doorway and still one foot into the darkness. And you're battling at the, kind of, at the kind of threshold. Like that happens. That That's not uncommon. So look at number three. So I've done one and two. I've defined what depression is. You're in an absolute hopeless state. Everything seems dark. There seems to be no light. You can't see any good thing, even though good things may be happening. Everything seems negative. There is nothing that's positive. Um, and you'll see things affected, like you'll have a lack of energy, a lack of motivation. You'll sleep a lot or you'll have trouble sleeping altogether. Um, it, it'll it affect you all the way down. And how to know, we talked a little bit about that from the, the nine things that the diagnostic statistical manual, but also this idea that you're not going to have any confidence that God is in control and that he's good. And by the way, if you're kind of like, well, I need to know more about that, Nick. Well, guess what? Although today we officially started the depression series, our last two messages are part of the solution plan to it. Two weeks ago, we did a message on trusting God. And so that's one of the things you, even though you, you may not believe it, you have to keep reminding yourself of it. Okay, because here's the deal. When you're in the darkness of the pit, let's say you're in the room. There's four walls. It's completely pitch black, dark. There is a door on every wall for you to escape, but yet you can't reach out to it. But yeah, I'll tell you this. If you'll remind yourself that there is a door, although you can't make your way to it, you can't see it, you can't find it. But in that darkness, if you know there's a door that's still there and that any direction you walk to will eventually lead you to that door... You can have hope in the midst of that darkness. But the depression hits you and keeps grabbing you and pulling you down when you're in the midst of those four walls in that dark room and you are telling yourself there's no door there. Although it's there and you can't see it, you keep telling yourself it's not there. If you can just remind yourself. That's why I tell you, like two weeks ago about trusting God, that even when you don't know everything, when you keep reminding yourself that he is good, that he is loving, that he is in control of this whole thing, that he's wise, this will help you to actually have hope in the midst of despair. This is one thing that helps you to reach out to that door and open it up. Now, sometimes it's not immediate and sometimes it, it does help pretty immediately. And we're going to discuss more of that. Now, look at number three. How does the Bible characterize depression? You know, it's interesting. The word depressed or depression is not really used in most of your little translations. Now, I found it in the New Living Translation one time. The interesting thing is that the word that was used there sometimes can also be translated humble as well. So there, that word depression is not really one that's used in the scripture. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist because the scripture actually has many different words that would describe the, what depression is. This hopelessness that you exist in. As you read through the scriptures, there's words like suffering. Anybody ever read the word suffering before? Okay that could fit into the category of depression. Words like hardships, trials, tribulations, despair, burdens, dread, being downcast, having a fallen face, hopelessness. These are words that the script that are in the scriptures that describe what can happen in depression. Now, here's why that's good news. Because for hardships, suffering, trials, tribulations, despair, dread, a fallen down place, hopelessness. The scripture actually gives us categories to fight against that. And that's really good news for us. That's really great news. So although 6% of the population and 10 to 15 of us here today may be in some kind of great depression kind of status and thought, the Bible has answers to help our soul in the midst of that kind of conflict. Now, I don't want you to turn to this, but I want you to I want to read some things to you, okay? Are you okay with me reading a couple of scriptures to you? Okay. So if the scripture has different words that fit into the category of depression, then that means the scriptures have answers that can help us, things to remind us. When we're in the room, these are things that we can remind us that although we can't reach out for the door at this moment, we can know that the door exists and that there's a way out. And as long as you have a glimmer of hope, you're going to make your way out of that pit at some moment. It's when you have no hope that there's not a way out. It's when you start to get into that pit and you fall farther and farther down in the darkness and you just stay in the dark room. Let me read for you a couple of things. 1 Peter 1, six through 6-7. In this you rejoice. You don't have to turn to this. I'm going to read several one. Though now for a season, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Remember that word, Trials. That fits in the category, scriptural category of what, what can happen in depression. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So like this one in Peter says, the, the difficulties you're going through, if you can remind yourself that this is testing your faith and refining your faith, that's a hope principle. That's like you saying, "I'm in this darkness, but God has a purpose for this." First Peter two nineteen through twenty one, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So this one is the depression could be this you're, sor- you're suffering un for you're suffering sorrowful for things that you didn't even do anything wrong. And it says this: for what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it and you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you, you do it. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God when you endure suffering for righteousness' sake. Verse 21 For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. So get this. If the depression is resulting from suffering unjustly, now, sometimes we don't suffer unjustly. But some of us here have suffered unjustly. Some of you here actually have suffered unjustly at the hands of the people who were supposed to love you, protect you and care for you your most. You understand that, right? Like you grip on the scripture has hope for us when we're in those places. It says right here that the things that have happened will make us that we will follow in his footsteps because when we suffer unjustly, we'll be just like Jesus. So here's the deal. When you're in the midst of that darkness of pit, you're reminding yourself of these things so that when you think the door is not there, you realize the door is still there. And at some point, the more you remind yourself and remind yourself, there's a greater hope of you making when you start making a step in either direction of those four walls, you're going to find that door again. First Peter 3, 14. If then you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. First, I mean, blessings when you suffer for righteousness sake first peter 4 1 since then christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whosoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin did you know that uh, that even for me sometimes when i've been in the mo when i've been starting to despair of life just knowing that jesus is using this to make me run further from sin and to run closer to him has actually given me hope to kind of know like there's a door are, are you with me do you understand what, what i'm saying like You, although you're numb to these truths when you're in when you're in that depressive state, you remind yourself just so you know. This is a really big book, all right. And some some of us who started January out saying I'm going to read through the. book of the Bible in a whole year, and you might already be like 10 chapters behind at this point, right? And you're just like, man, well, you're like, I feel like I could have done like a cliff note version of this. It's it's really a lot of reminding us of the same truths that we learn over and over and over because it takes a lot of reminding. That's part of being a sinner. You forget things or you forget a lot of things. At 40 now, I'm realizing I forget a lot of things. Can I get amen? Does anybody feel like they forget a lot of things? A lot of things. That's why we got to be reminded. First Peter five ten, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory by Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I mean, the Scriptures go on and on, guys. It says, "Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial." Trial is a word that can describe being in that 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 very difficult, hopeless spot. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Meaning like even you remind yourself in the midst of despair that there can be be like a crown of glory for you out of the midst of this. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, Paul says, so that I become like him. So Paul, in the midst of his sufferings, people wonder like, was Paul ever depressed? Well, read your scripture. Like Paul said, he despaired of life itself. And then, while in the midst of that, what is he saying to himself? Like, I despair of life. Like, I thought we had the sentence of death, Paul says. And then he goes on and we find another place where he's like, okay, but all this is happening that I can suffer with him and that I can be like him. So you understand, he had times where he was in the pit of despair, but he kept reminding himself of scriptural truths that fit into this category. And at some point when he takes a step, he knows that the door is still there and there is a way out. Are y'all with me? Do you get this? So, this is why it's good to know that there's all sorts of words, suffering, trials, having a downcast uh, heart, um, a, down, a downcast face, that, that these things fit into the category that can be used to combat depressive thoughts in the midst of that at our own soul level. So here's what people say at this point. Okay, Nick, is that enough? Because, listen... I've been in a depressive state before and I remind myself of all those truths and like, man, it was bouncing off me. So here's how it works. So sometimes you could be in that that pit and and you could be reminding yourself of all these truths and it's like you, you still can't find the door and you can't even see, the, you don't even believe the door's there. And then some people, when they've been in that state for such a time, and a long time, sometimes they'll go to their doctor, and this is a good thing. And they'll get a medication, and sometimes, sometimes that medication calms their 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 body down enough that they can deal with their soul. And there there exists that. Like I've known people um, who actually, man, they're godly people. One of my professors actually, godly man, mentored me, trained me, uh, actually helped me to get my counseling certification in 2010. He had. He, he had a very depressive state and some things that led him to that. And he kept reminding himself of all these truths that I'm reminding you of, but he was just numb to them. He put them on his wall. He write them on flashcards. He keep reminding. He was, so he's being faithful. But he said, like, I, I had to go get a medication to kind of knock the edge off so that my soul could, could, could deal with these things. Now, here's what I would encourage you. When you do that and you get whatever antidepressant that the doctor gives you that don't trust in that antidepressant itself, that antidepressant or that psychotropic medication is meant to calm you down so that you can keep dealing with the soul. Now, what happens a lot of times is people just take that and they don't deal with the soul, right? It's to calm you down. I describe it kind of like mowing a lawn, all right? When I mow my lawn, the main way I'm going to mow my lawn is with a lawnmower, right? Now, um... My yard is, is rather large. Now, what if I tried to mow that lawn with just a weed eater? Would that be a pretty long day of lawn care for me? You know, just sitting out there, just like back and forth. Take me forever, right? So I'm going to use my lawnmower. I have a riding lawnmower and I'm going to mow that really, it's really fast. But when I'm done mowing the lawn, there's still going to be some edges that the lawnmower just didn't catch, Right? And sometimes I'm going to have to use a weed eater. So what I tell people when you're in the midst of depression and you're reminding yourself of God's truth over and over and over and you're 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 going back further down in the pit. There could be a time that you've done all the lawn mowing of the lawn. That's what you're doing when you're reminding yourself of God's truth in the midst of it. If you have to go if you go and get a medication, think of it as like a weed eater. You're just kind of catching the edges. The weed eater is not the main thing that's going to attack that lawn. It's just going to kind of help the edges and kind of make things get to where they need to look so that the lawn looks right. Your main kind of kind of work is going to be with the lawnmower. So when you're in it, if you use a medication, use it as a weed eater, not a lawnmower. OK, let the work of of the scriptures and the work of prayer and the work of God's people and all the other things I'm going to be telling you through this series. Let those be the things that are the main attack thing when you're in the midst of it. And if if by God's common grace, a medication is used, fine, that's just knocking off the edges. Are you all with me? Are you understanding how this is kind of, of, of meant to work? We'll talk more about that next week, and I'll help you understand this. And here's the reason why. Now I want you to look at a couple of scriptures. Go to Matthew 5, 18. Why would I tell you something like that? Because the Bible informs what we look like, what we're made out of. So Matthew 5, 18, it says this. Verse 17, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled? Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the what? From the heart, describing the inner person. The Bible uses uh, interchangeable words, heart, mind, soul, to describe the inner person. And this defiles a person. But out of the heart, out of the inner person, come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat the well and wash hands is not follow person. Am I giving you the wrong scripture here? what did I tell you? Oh, I'm reading Matthew fifteen, eighteen. What did I tell you? Well, just add a one. So now in the the greater context of this story. The disciples were people well, the religious people were concerned that Jesus disciples weren't washing, weren't washing their hands before they ate. And they were unclean ceremonially and sinning. And Jesus was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> to eat with washing and unwashed hands. That's not where sin comes from. Sin starts on the inner person and makes its way to the outside. Like everything we do outwardly is a direct result of what's going on inwardly because we are made of outer man and inner man. When you look at depression, you got to understand the outer and inner man are connected to each other. So what we're valuing, thinking, worshiping, desiring on the inside will make its way in how we respond to life on the outside. Conversely, some things that happen on the outside will affect the inside. So for instance, if you do not get enough sleep, that will affect the inside. If you don't eat enough, it will affect the inside. If you eat too much, it will affect the inside. If you, certain cocktails of medications can, on the outside, can affect the inside. So when we look at depression, here's the deal. Most of our culture looks at depression from the outer man standpoint, right? You understand that, right? It only wants to deal with the outer man. That's why if you've ever been to like a psychiatrist and they give you and they'll give you this medication to help the outer man. Sometimes you don't get a lot of inner man help because the thought a lot of times it's how our culture thinks. It thinks it's just an outer man kind of thing, but we're made of outer man and inner man. So when you look at depression, you've got to look at not only the outer man, but you also got to look at how the inner man affects the outer man. Was that confusing or did that make sense? The inner man affects the outer man. Even here, Jesus says, when when sin comes, or, or anything we actually do, it comes out of the heart. Proverbs 13, 12 says something. Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but desire is a tree of life. So... When we look at depression, we got to look at it as not just a body, an outer man, but an inner man as well. Both of these have to go together. And in most of our world and culture, everybody looks at depression as simply an outer kind of thing. And it's not just that. Even if its outer things are contributing or the major factor, it's not just that alone. Our inner man and outer man are connected to each other and they influence each other. And I know that may seem kind of like a bad deal, but guess how that's a good deal? Because your ultimate redemption and glory someday, you will be an inner man and an outer man connected. That's how God's always meant for you to to live. So you may feel bad right now and saying like, okay, Nick, so what are you, are you telling me that this slip disc in my back that I've been struggling with in chronic pain for the last two years has caused me to have a lot of, despair. And you're saying that that's, that can be a good thing because I I would really like my, my inner man to not be affected by my outer man in that. And I would say, well, here's the glory that someday when there's nothing but joy in the glory and the presence of heaven for your inner man, guess what your outer man will be doing as well. He'll be glorying too. So, I mean, like there's some pain in it right now that we have to fight from the, the inner man towards the outer man, but What glory that'll be for someday because someday when the inner man is not living around the curse anymore, what great joy there's going to be that our body and our soul, our inner and outer man can glory together. Now, today they can suffer together, but in glory they'll joy together. And that's a hope. Now, look at number four, the causes of depression. Five things I'm going to lay out to you. By the way, um, I don't care how strong you think you are, anybody can go into depression. I can go into depression. Um, one of the greatest preachers we've ever had Charles Spurgeon had large bouts of depression in his life Now, let me give you five reasons for it. Okay And as usual, i'm running out of time Uh, I'm, i'm going to probably give you these five reasons I'm going to take you through one scripture just to kind of show you and i'm going to take you some more through it next week Okay, are y'all okay? Am I uh, hopefully i'm not confusing or anything like this? It'll get more clear as we go Five causes, this is number four, five causes when we look through the lens of scripture for depression. One, we know that depression can, uh, a, a factor, a cause can be something physical is going on. Something physical can be a contributing factor, okay? So our bodies, the curse of the fall, our health. Um, we could have some kind of disease, hyperthyroidism, dementia, cancer, deterioration from age, Postpartum depression after having a baby, side effects from medication, side effects from drug abuse, pure, poor sleep, poor nutrition, vitamin deficiencies, prolonged chronic pain, hormonal imbalances. I mean, there's, uh, there's a litany of, of physical things that can be contributing factors towards a depressive state. It can happen. All right. Um, now I always tell you this, if you think you're in a depressive state, my, I would tell you go see your doctor get blood work, get scans. So like you've climbed into the depressive area and you've been reminding yourself of God's truth, but you just keep sinking down and down and down and you're reminding yourself and trying to trust God and you're re-listening to my trusting God message and it's like I just keep climbing down and down. Then make sure there's nothing physical going on on the outer man that's contributing towards making it harder for the inner man to fight. Are y'all with me? Do you understand? So you may discover some things. Like I've known people who... They they had like they were just battling with these thoughts, and they loved God. And they were reminding themselves, and they went to the doctor and found out that they they. Had. Like some serious thyroid issues and it had a huge impact. They started taking the thyroid medication. It actually helped them fight well at the soul level. I've known some people get this. I know y'all may think this is crazy, but I've known some people that they simply got towards a depressive state because they wasn't, they were not sleeping. Okay. They were Netflix binging till late in the night every night and they were getting like three hours of sleep. None of us know about that, right? And like, Night upon night they were doing that and they wondered why they went wonky. Like, do you understand that Jesus had to sleep, right? Like, so it, it, just, this is free. Turn off the phone, okay? Or like, put it on silent and like, get, like, put it down at some point and go to sleep. So our bodies is one. Other people can be a contributing factor towards depression. By the way, the five I'm gonna give you, it could be more, there could be multiple things in the five, I mean, it could be, Two of these five, or three of these five, or all five, or one of the five. There's many tentacles that influence a depressive state in, in, our, in our life, okay? I'm just giving you some of them. So the body, something's going on with the body, especially with the outer man physically, other people can be a contributing factor. People can sin against us. People can betray us, abuse us, make and break commitments. They can wound us. They can sexually abuse us, physically abuse us, sin against us. Family can sin against us. They can deceive us. We can be fired from a job, laid off from a job, divorced by a spouse, committed adultery against by a spouse, have a struggling marriage, have children that, that sin against us, have children that rebel. I mean, like all these things, others, others, that can be an influence uh, that can be a contributing factor towards getting uh, being pulled into the gravitational field of being in depression. A third can be our own sin. Honestly, our own sin can bring us into depression. I'm going to take you over the next um, here in a little bit, then even next week about some some scriptures that you can see. Like we're going to look at some passages, and you're going to be able to go, oh. I see two of the five of why that person was downcast. You know, like I'm going to take you through that because here's one of the things I want you to know because I'm sharing with you these five things so that when you do get in that depressive place, notice I say when, because it's more than likely going to come for a lot of us and a lot of us it's going to be different and some of us can be more than others. If you can start tracing out, okay, what might be some of the contributing factors, some you can do something about, some you can't, right? Right? So like if it's something physical with our body, something outer man, sometimes there's something you can do about that. Sometimes you can't. Like sometimes you can take vitamins. Sometimes you can discover if there's something medically wrong. I mean, sometimes you can get more sleep. You can make your diet better. But sometimes there's things that you can't do anything about it. It's just it's just what's happening to your body. You can't control it. Right. So if like you've got like dementia, that's something you're, you're not going to be able to control in the moment. Now, a third contributing factor is our own sin. Listen, if we're unforgiving towards people, God promises to discipline us. If we start walking away from what God wants us to do, we start abusing our body. We start having selfish desires, pride, sinful anger. Anything that we're doing that's sinful, that can be a contributing cause to getting and falling down into the gravitational field of depression. Okay, The fourth is Satan. We can be pulled into the gravitational field by a contributing factor of Satan. Haven't we read where Satan, God gives Satan permission to go and, and and go after Job and it pulls Job down, right? So Satan can be a contributing cause. Number five can be God himself. You know, interesting when you read the book of Job, right? Satan was requesting to do all these things, but in the end, whose hand was really in control of the whole thing? It was God. And so even in that passage, we find that the ultimate control factor behind the, the the great despair that Job had for a season was God. So these are, when you look at the lens of scripture, what are the contributing factors when you get in a pit? It could be something physical with our outer man. It could be a contributing factor. It could be what people are doing to us and sinning against us. It could be our own sin. It could be something that Satan's doing. It ultimately could be something that God's doing. These are the main five contributing factors. And here's the deal. You really can't do much about what God and Satan are doing, right? You just have to have the right response towards those things. There's some things that you can do to counteract the physical. That's why I say you go to the doctor, you get thorough medical examination, you push your doctor, find a good Christian doctor who understands how the body and soul work, has good theology, and they'll push to get you all the tests that you need. But sometimes it can be our response to how other people have sinned against us, or it can be our own sin. And we actually can do something more about that. So let me show this to you. I didn't just make this up. Let me take you through a couple passages, right? Take your Bible. I want you to look over at um, Genesis 4. I'm just going to look with you a couple passages. And next week, I'm going to look at a couple more passages to kind of help you see the category of these five contributing factors. So Genesis 4, this is a familiar story. Are y'all okay? Y'all with me? Okay. It's going to do two passages. I've got several. I'm going to continue that on next week. Let's look at Cain and Abel. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. This is Genesis 4.1. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, she says. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. Now look at it. And the Lord had regard to Abel and his offering. In a minute you're going to see Cain fall into the pit of despair, right? So when we look at the five contributing factors, what's one contributing factor? God. God's a contributing factor in this. Like he he is pleased with the obedience that that, that Abel has compared to Cain. Then Cain and his offering he had no regard, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, what's another contributing factor? Sin. Cain's own sin. He sins and doesn't, he doesn't do as God has told him to do. So we have God as a contributing factor. We have Cain's own sin as a contributing factor. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and your face has fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it, right? So we see God in the background. Being pleased with obedience, and we didn't see Cain's own sin. Now watch what happens. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. More sin. Just so you understand, sin on top of sin goes to more sin. And just in case you want to understand, correct what we call anthropology, the study of man and the study of man, the anthropology of here. Did Cain just kill his brother because just on a whim or did it start at his heart and it made its way? Did it start at the inner man and make its way to the outer man? Tell me. Inner outer, right? You even see it right here in Genesis 4 right after the fall. So here's what happens. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know where am I my brother's keeper. Once again, won't even repent. We see sin. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. And Cain said to the Lord, now watch his hopelessness. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from before the ground. From your face I have been hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, does that not describe like some hopelessness? I mean, you see what he's saying? But now the five contributing factors, what do we find? God and his own sin in this situation. So that's one, you can kind of see one, by the way, just if you read further, God had some grace on him, right? I mean, like he like gets to build a city and have children like God. God actually gave him, if you look at it later, Cain's evaluation of things were actually wrong in the end. Okay, now, I'll show you another one. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Next week, I'm going to show you some other ones just so you can see the categories. So if you, if you can understand sometimes the contributing factors, this helps you to know kind of what to do. It's the easiest if you know that your depression is being caused by actual sin or how others have sinned against you in your response to those people. Let me show you Paul. Are you all Okay. Any y'all about to fall asleep? I'll show you this one. <clears throat> so Paul gets a look into heaven, and so that he wouldn't get prideful about it, God humbles him about it. Okay, gives him a thorn in the flesh. Now watch this. Paul says in verse six of First Second Corinthians twelve, though. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth, but i refrain from it, so that one, no one may think more than he sees of me or hears of me. So he got a picture into heaven. And he, it's, a, it's an issue that he could have boasted, but God kept him humble. Here's how God did it, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this is earlier in the chapter, he got to see into heaven. A thorn was given me in the flesh. So just notice this. Paul's feeling some depressive things that are pulling him down. And, and notice that one is the potential for sin. God gives him this thorn in the flesh. Number two, there was a thorn in the flesh. So the potential for him to sin, but also what's a contributing factor? Something physical. Something physical is going on. A thorn in the flesh. Now watch this. It's a thorn in the flesh. It's called the messenger of what? Satan. So we see Satan involved in this. Although he didn't actively sin, God knew that the kind of sin he would get into. So God gave him this thorn in the flesh so he wouldn't get prideful. So we can put the sin category. I mean, do you know that some of the, some of what God does in our life is preempting us from getting into sin? I mean, some of the way, like, if you got everything you wanted in life, it probably wouldn't be good for you. All right. You probably just get into sin. Like, so you wonder why you don't have more cash in the bank. Honestly, friend, it just may not be what, what God would really want for you. It could be the worst thing God could ever do for you. Right. So be happy if you're broke. Okay. A messenger of Satan harassed me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So look at this. the potential for his own sin, it was something physical and Satan. But in the end, who did he know was giving Satan permission to do this? God. So now we got four of the five. <laughs> Isn't that big, Right. But he said to me, here's what God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, okay, God, you're not going to take it away. Then let me go through it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the five contributing factors he has here. But yet, does he just look at it from an outer man perspective only? I mean, does he ask God to take it away? Does he seek some relief from the outer man? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But yet, he says, if God's not going to take it away, I'm just going to go through it. So now what does he say? He starts working at the soul level, the inner man. And look what happens with the inner man. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's saying, I know God's power now as a result of this depression, this, this this calamity that I'm in. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Just so you know, those words fit into the category of what's described when you're in depression. Y'all with me? Y'all feeling me on this? For when I'm weak, then am I strong. So what does he do? He's got four of the five. God doesn't even take away the physical. So he says, my soul is gonna, my soul is still gonna hope in God in the midst of that. And his hope in God brought him back out. Y'all see this, right? I'm not making this up. Now, what worship team, y'all go and make your way up here. Next week, we're going to look at Elijah. We're going to look at Jonah. Um, we may look at a couple other people. I'm going to show you these five contributing factors. Because when you start tracing down, like, listen, sometimes you can't trace down. Like, sometimes, like, when you read Job, do you know that all the bad things that were happening to Job for a while there, he didn't know if God was his friend or his foe. Like, he couldn't trace it down. He didn't know if it was Satan, if it was God. All he knew in the end, that he had to trust God. In fact, when you read the book of Job, like God sometimes doesn't give Job a great explanation for everything. But it seems like Job is able to trust that everything comes from God's hand. So you see his soul respond right in the midst of despair. So here's the thing I love. I have no doubts today that we're going to be okay. And I have no doubts because the work of the cross has told me this. And, and all my suffering cannot compare to Jesus' suffering. I mean, Jesus suffered in my place, and this is a guy that knows all about it. And over the next several weeks, I'm gonna we're going to look more at the suffering of Jesus and how su- Jesus actually can give us hope in the midst of it. So if you feel like today, like I'm lonely, and there's no way my suffering like Jesus actually knows. And one day, he suffered more than any one of us in this room have ever suffered. Listen. If you think you've suffered more than Jesus, you're wrong. Because none of us in here have bore the wrath of God for God's elect. None of us have ever done that, right? And so like the very fact that he did that, you can know that he identifies with you and that he's walking with you and that you're going to be okay and that he's going to take you through it. I've got to stop, okay? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing praises to him at this moment. And we're going to keep going with this, guys. I, I, I hopefully this ho- starts to help to frame it up. But this is, a, this is a lengthy thing. For we who have a high priest, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows what you're going through when you're in the pit and he knows how to bring you through that pit because he's been in the exact same place. Lord, thank you that we are not left to struggle without any direction. Bless this series as we keep going forward and helping us untangle and disciple better on how to approach this, how to fight it at a soul level, how to have the wisdom to know the contributing factors of a physical level and let us praise you in the midst of it and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.